The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently, we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rock. Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. The editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for a Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right. You can see the faces made for radio. Head over here to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And there you're going to see two videos on the top of the page there. The first one on the left side is Bradley's show from Saturday. So if you missed that, that's two hours worth of Bradley Dean. And then on the right side, and by the way, he'll be live in that area, Lord willing, 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then on the right side is where we're at. Now, some people are asking about the show on Saturday. Yes, it was Rumble's fault. They, they weren't letting the stream through for some reason. I don't know what. And I can't seem to get Rumble to respond to things. By the way, if you guys are having problems with chat, if you're having problems with leaving comments, that is not us. That is Rumble. You can send them an email at support at rumble.com. Let them know that. Support at rumble.com. Let them know you're having problems. Because either they're doing it intentionally or there's a glitch that they need to fix. So let them know. And I'm not guaranteeing you're going to even get a message back from them because I haven't even gotten one back. But uh, anyway, that, w- that was not our fault. We did get the show uploaded, so you can go to Sons of Liberty Radio Live on Rumble, and you can view it there. So I did get it uploaded uh, so you can uh, view it, because a lot of people usually tune in on Saturdays uh, to hear Kate and the health and wellness show that we have there. Okay, so uh, here we are on the right side of the page, sonsoflibertymedia.com. Click on the play button, blow it up whatever device you've got, look for the Rumble icon, bottom right-hand corner. Click on that. Join us in the chat. Love to have you over there. we got a lot of friends there this morning. Good morning. Good to see all of you over there. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of people came in all at once, so good to see you guys. Um, also, we are streaming live to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. We're also on BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page over there, and we appreciate those guys giving us a spot uh, over there at BeforeIt'sNews.com as well. Right up under where we're streaming live at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Be sure to do that. Sign up for that. You'll get that once a day uh, between 7 and 8 p.m. is when it goes out Eastern. 
so you'll be able to get those then. And if you want our, our ministry email, you want to see what the Sons of Liberty are doing, what they have done, what they're what we're going to be doing, uh, go to sonsoflibertyradio.com. You can sign up for that right on the front page. It goes out once a week on Saturdays, um, and that'll let you know what we're doing. All right. Okay. With that said, <clears throat> long awaited, I guess, for some, <laughs> not so much for others, but uh, we're going to pick up where we were the other week. I, I needed to collect my thoughts a lot, and yesterday was great for that uh, while I was working, um, putting together some little things for mom because it was Mother's Day. And um, I got, boy, look at that. <laughs> Those of you on the, I got sunburnt just on my arms. I got the farmer's tan. And since I'm a redneck, I got the red on my neck too. Uh, but in any case, uh, that was going on. I got my thoughts collected on where I'm wanting to go this week. So I'm hopeful that this will be beneficial to you. There's no doubt in my mind that as we go through the scriptures, God's word does not return to him void. It goes out to accomplish the purposes that he purposed for them, or they don't have a purpose. Okay. So I'm very confident that the word of God is powerful, that it has the ability to not only cut us down, but to build us up, to correct us, to instruct us in righteousness and reprove us. Uh, as Paul writes in the New Testament. And so with that said, we're going to start back where we were before. Uh, a friend, a, a recent friend has really made this one really impactful for me. And I think it's probably because he's repeated it so often. And, um, and I've grown to really appreciate what this text says because it helps me formulate some things and get answers to questions that I've had. And I hope as we go through this, that the questions that I've had are some of the questions you've had. And I hope that I'm giving you answers to that. Now, I know there are people who will come in and say, well, no, it's not this. And it's, you know, we're, we're living in the last days and, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's, you know, the end of the world's coming and, you know, all these bad guys are around. And you, I'm just going to tell you what I hear. This is just me. I hear the same kind of talk that the 10 spies brought back. You know, the ones with the bad report about the promised land where God said, I'm going to take you in. I'm going to lead you. You're going to take over this land because I promised it to your, to your forefathers. And the 10 spies, oh, these guys are too big for us. There's giants in the land. Oh, yeah, we, we know there's their sustenance, but it's, you know, it's not so... And then you got the two guys, Joshua and Caleb, who say, no, no, no. Yep, there's giants in the land. It's plentiful, just like the Lord said, and we can take them because they're a piece of cake. That's literally what they're saying. They're bread in our hands. They're a piece of cake. Well, I believe that the believers in King Jesus can take the land. But they've got to see that the king is real. Not just a pie in the sky out in the future. Not just he's somehow spiritually ruling and reigning from heaven, but that he's a real king with a real kingdom and real laws and real people in that kingdom. They have to see that. If they don't see it, they're going to submit themselves to every ordinance of man, and I'm talking about ungodly man, and think they're, doing, they're being obedient to God, and they're not. 
Okay, so with that said, let's start here. And then what we're going to talk about is what does the Bible say about the end of the world? Has it already happened? Because I keep hearing people who don't know the scriptures. They just, they, I just, some of them write some of the goofiest comments I've ever read, I've ever read, even for dispensationalists and, and stuff, just some goofy comments that, that I've seen. Totally out of context of the Bible. And you guys, if you don't get anything, and I say it over and over, if you don't get anything out of this show when we go through these, when we go through scriptures and stuff, I hope that you learn to read the scriptures in context. I hope that you learn to read the scriptures. In if you don't learn anything else from me, I hope that you learn that. That will be the most beneficial thing for you. Okay. That will be the most beneficial thing for you. Okay. All right. So with that said, let's start here. Uh, how it, I'm going to, I'm going to answer that in just a minute <laughs> and probably tomorrow too, because we're going to do a study on what's the time of the end. What's the last days, all of these kinds of things. What are those things? Are they something now or can we draw? We can definitely draw application from them, but let's start here. I want people to, and, and remember, I'm going to reiterate certain things because I want you to see how they fit together. And I'm telling you right now, the Bible is amazing if you will let it interpret itself. There are too many Hal Lindsey's, there's too many John Hagee's, there's too many whatever the latest false teacher is that's out there teaching that, well, I'm looking at a news article right here, and this is the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. You know, every week they've got their little news broadcasters. I haven't seen any of them in years. In fact, I was kind of amazed at how Lindsay used to link to my articles at Freedom Outpost. Of course, they were news articles, but, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd make them, uh, you know, last day stuff. And so the point is, is this. We've already established that Jesus came closed out the old covenant or the old covenant age or the end of the world. And we're going to expand on that today. The end of the world in the first century. He did that. His kingdom is established. Before, it's not that he wasn't king, but the fact of the matter is before he was, God was considered king of Israel, that we, under, that we understand that from reading the scriptures. He was their God. He was their king. And they wanted a king like the nations around him, so he gave them one. But he says, you're going to hold to my law. You're going to write a copy. You're going to read it. You're going to know it. You're supposed to execute it. Well, the kings, some of them got some of it right. Some of them got some of it wrong. But that's what they were supposed to hold to. And they didn't do a very good job of it in many cases. Okay. With that said, Jesus has now come. And he is king of the nations. He is king of the nations. You know, before he, God winked at the ignorance of the nations. Now he commands all men everywhere to repent, bow the knee to his, his king, King Jesus, the one he has set upon his holy hill in Zion. We read that out of Psalm 2. So let's go to Matthew chapter 16. And this is where we're going to begin. This is the premise uh, for what we're talking about. Verse 27, for the Son of Man, now this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. 
For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. And verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let me say that again. He's talking to disciples, to his disciples in the first century, and he says, verily or truly, that's what that means. Truly I say unto you, there be some standing here, some of the disciples who are listening to him at this time, which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let that sink in a second. If you've been told the kingdom is far off into the future, that is not what the scripture says. This kingdom is coming. It's coming without observation because the kingdom is within you, Jesus says in Luke chapter 17. We saw that before. But when does that kingdom come? Well, it comes at the end of the world. And it comes as the king comes to sacrifice himself and present it as our great high priest to the Father, that sacrifice that he made. Well, that just sounds silly, Tim. Well, we've read this before, but I want to bring it to your attention again. This is Hebrews chapter 9. And talking about the temple and all of the stuff that's there, uh, verse 23 says, It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better, with better, sac not better, better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. He's not entered into a ta the tabernacle. He didn't enter into the temple. He entered into heaven. And he says that, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true. In other words, all that stuff you saw in the Old, this is the whole the argument of the writer of Hebrews, is all of the stuff of the Old Testament, Christ is either greater or he's the fulfillment of those things. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than David. He's greater than Solomon. Pick your patriarch. He's, he's greater than all of them. And he's greater than the temple. He said that with his own mouth. But he is the he is the fulfillment of the temple. He is the fulfillment of the sacrifice. He is the fulfillment of the high priest. He is the fulfillment of the priestly line. And so it says, but into heaven. That's where he went to. He didn't enter into the physical realm. He entered into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. Remember the day of atonement, the, 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 the priest has to confess his sin. He has to cleanse himself. He has to be right with God before he enters the holy of holy. And he only gets to do it once a year. And he offers a sacrifice for the people. Now, does that sacrifice take away sin? Nope. Because if you read Hebrews 10, the blood of bulls and goats does not take away sin. And this is why the writer of Hebrews warns the people about going back to that. If you go back to that, there's no sacrifice for sin. There's only sacrifice for sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. He's the only one who can take away sin. So he says, nor yet that he should offer himself often. How often did the priests offer sacrifices? Well, they were doing it daily. 
they were daily in the temple or in yeah in sacrifices they were daily slaughtering animals and taking in the different sacrifices that the people brought in but jesus is not like those priests nope verse 26 for then must he have must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world but now once one time Jesus sacrificed, and he sacrificed himself when? In the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Let me say that again. For then must he have often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now. We're going to take a look at some words. I'm just going to show you these. I brought these up just so you would see. Okay. This is from Hebrews. This is the word that's used there. Now, if I back up, I think I got this here. Yep. This is Hebrews 9.26. And so we see the word uh, cosma here, the foundation of the world. Okay. The Greek word is cosma. And that's what you've got here. And it means the world. Okay. From the foundation of the world. And then we have the word world, <clears throat> excuse me, used later on, which is translated, or which should be translated as ages. So the end of the age, or the end of the ages. And the word is anon. Okay? And if you'll notice in Strong's, what does it say? Specifically, a messianic period. Specifically, a messianic period. I want you guys to see that because I have the only time I've gone outside of scripture is when we read Alexander Keith's book or his chapter on the destruction of Jerusalem, or I mentioned Josephus. Everything else that I have said has been directly out of the context of the scripture. I haven't changed it, I haven't manipulated it, I haven't resorted to even men that I appreciate who've taught me lots. Many of them are dead. Uh, I haven't pointed to those people or any of that. I've went right down the scriptures in their context. Okay. So with that said, let me ask you something. How many of you believe that the world will end? That there's an end of the physical world? Let me read you two passages of scripture, and I'm going to show you the words that are used there too. Okay. The first one is from Ephesians chapter 3, and listen to what it says. Let's begin in <clears throat> verse, uh, blah, 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 verse 13. Let's just pick it up from there, okay? And then we'll hear how it ends. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth <clears throat> and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Stop and think about that for a second. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly. 
Uh, I think Paul could probably come up with a lot of other words that he could put in here as well. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. The world without end. Now, that is not a new phrase. I'm going to show you that in just a minute. But I do want to show you what the words are here. And so what we see is in here, we don't have that, that term. He's just got, um, he's got anon or age. And this is what comes from this passage. I'll back it up just so you see. Uh, well, it didn't come out that way. You can see what we're looking at. Ephesians 3.21 and what he talks about there is the age or the anon. Okay. All right. The next one I want to show you comes from Isaiah. Now, by the way, we sing a song. Uh, some of you may have heard it. Um, I'm not going to sing it. I might have to try to get the melody here so I keep the words in my mind. But it ends with world without end. Amen. Amen. It's called Gloria Patria, if you've not heard it. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning. Gosh, see, if I don't sing it, I'll have it. Not, I know you guys don't want to hear my singing. So anyway, it ends with that. So if you want to look it up, it's called Gloria Patria. And, um, and it, you, it's singing the words of Scripture, the world without end. So this is Isaiah chapter 45. And um, let's look at verse, uh, we'll begin with verse 15. Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. They shall be ashamed and also confounded, all of them. They shall go to confusion together that are makers of idols. But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end. Okay. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, and he hath established it, created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Okay? All right, so that's there. And then what is, what are we looking at here? Well, again, <clears throat> this, is, this is Hebrew now. This is the word ages. Ages everlasting. And what does the word mean here? Well, it means a long duration. All right? A long duration, even infinity, indefinite, eternity. Okay, so I want you to get an idea of what the words are here. And I'm not trying to be smart here. That, that's not the point. I want you guys to see the words that are used and what they mean. So when somebody tells you, when you go through these texts, the, the texts we're going to look at are all about the end of the world. And there's different words, especially in the New Testament, for world. We're going to see a couple of those as well. You've got age, and then you've got what your cosmos is, your, 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 what's been made, what's been created, okay? It's spoken of as the world. And then you have the world that's obviously uh, being referred to as that, but it's, it's the fleshly aspects of worldliness. It's not necessarily the creation. Okay. So we're going to look at some of those things. So we've already, we've already set up that Jesus came when, when did Jesus come and offer himself as a sacrifice to take away sin? 
Hebrews chapter 9. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, if you have people telling you the end of the world is way out there in the future, I want to ask a question. And as we go through this, I want you to, to think about and contemplate this in your mind. Are you going to believe them? Or are you going to believe the word of God? Not the word of Tim. I, I, I didn't write any of this stuff. You have to ask yourself, am I going to believe them or am I going to believe the word of God? So, let's start taking a look. <clears throat> this is uh, Matthew chapter 13. And we went through this on our last, I think it was on the last The Kingdom of Heaven is Like video. So if you've not seen that, you can go to Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live, scroll down, and you should be able to find Two Kingdom of Heaven, The, the Kingdom of Heaven is Like. It's the second one with the seeds and power and leaving, okay? You, you can find it there. But I want to read to you <clears throat> from Matthew chapter 13 again. And I want you to notice some things that happen as it gets explained. And this is the parable of the sower. So we're just going to read it. I'm not going to take a lot of time because we did that on that show. But let's read what happened here. Okay. So this is Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. The same day when Jesus uh, went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. He who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And so the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And notice, Jesus doesn't say, I speak unto them in parables so they have a better understanding. Nope, that's not what he says. He says, he answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. <clears throat> he goes on and he says, for whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore, speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. If you want to see what the reference, I mean, Isaiah 6 is pretty clear. For this people's heart is waxed to gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and should heal them. And I should heal them. Excuse me. 
But blessed are your eyes, for they see. And how were they able to see? Well, Jesus told us in Matthew, uh, he well, he tells Peter in Matthew 16 that uh, it's flesh, it, flesh and blood doesn't do that. It's the Father who does that. He's the one who opens eyes. Um, he goes, see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and should understand uh, with their heart, should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the source. So Jesus is going to go through the parable with his disciples because they're going, why are you talking in these parables? And it's almost as if they don't understand the parable themselves. They understand the straight talk of the kingdom or they're, they're grasping certain things of the kingdom. They don't understand it fully, but they grasp little bits and pieces in there. And so what Jesus wants them to do is to understand what the parable was about. So here's what he does. Verse 19, he tells them what the parable is. You don't have to, if somebody goes off the, the straight and narrow here of what the text actually says the, about the, the sower, the parable of the sower, you need to call them out on that. You need to say, no, 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 the text itself says it. It's like when I talk about, <clears throat> and I'm going to hit this again, when I talk about what Jesus says the days of Noah are like, and everybody goes off into this wild conversation about giants and the angels with women and all this stuff. And it's like, no, Jesus says what the days of Noah are like. I understand certain aspects. We read the wickedness and the, the violence throughout the earth and man's intentions were wicked always. I get that. But he says what the days of Noah are like. He does it with the days of Lot too. The people are just carrying on their lives. They're completely unaware that judgment is at the door until, it, until the door opens and judgment pours out. That's what he says. Okay, so you want to do the same thing here. When somebody takes this and they make it into something else, and I've seen people do it, you go back to the context and you say, nope, Jesus said this is what this seed is. This is what it represents. This is what the sower is doing, all of that. And that's what he does here. So he says this, when anyone heareth, notice what he says. He doesn't say the gospel here. He says the word of the kingdom. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation and persecution ariseth, because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receiveth the seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word, and not only hear it, but understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth fruit some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. But they are fruitful. No matter what the fruit is you bear, uh, hopefully, it, well, it, is, it is, should be the fruit of the Spirit. That's, that's the fruit that's born. That fruit, it's not an issue of the amount. It's an issue that you're bearing fruit. These other ones didn't bear any fruit. There was no fruit at all. The one who receives the word and understands it, those are the ones that bear fruit. 
Now, he puts forth another one, another parable that he spoke unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, <clears throat> then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst, thou, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy has done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Then he says this, Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And another, and he tells another parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. And another parable he told unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leaven. All these things spake Jesus, and there's a point coming here. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them. That it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet. Constantly, what do you see in the New Testament? It's fulfill what Isaiah said. It's fulfill what this prophet said. It's fulfill what Daniel said. It's fulfill what another prophet said. Constantly. Why? Jesus said... He opened the understanding of the disciples, Luke chapter 24. Read it when he, after his resurrection, he opens their minds and he says, all that Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, they speak about me. They speak about me. Okay, so watch what he says here. It might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. So listen, what Jesus is revealing had been hidden. Now, God gave it <laughs> through the prophets, but even the prophets looked into it saying, you know, what is this? Even the scriptures talk about angels looking into things like they want to understand what's going on as well. And so what we have here is Jesus sent the multitude away, and notice what he says. He went into the house, his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Declare to us, what does it mean, this, this parable that you had about the wheat and the tares? And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. Who's that? That's Jesus, right? The field is the world and this is not an age. Obviously, the, the word world here is not age. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. So if you want to know what the, the seed was for the wheat, that is the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest 
is the end of the world. Hmm. That is age, anon. That is the word anon. It is the end of the age. All right. And the reapers are the angels. Now, if if you've been listening to the shows that we did, uh, especially when we did them on Matthew 24, which was the first three that we did, this should bring to mind what was going on. I'll send forth my angels from the, they'll gather the elect from the four winds of heaven, won't they? And then it moves right into what we talked about um, in, I don't remember which show it was that we talked about it, but it was in those six where it moves right into Matthew 25. You've got two parables and then you've got that judgment that happens. It should remind you of that. And there is nothing, nothing, nothing in the context of Matthew 23 through 25 that tells us this is anything other than what's going to happen in the first century. I, there's just nothing to tell us that. Well, I, they didn't see this. I'm going to be patient. Be patient. <laughs> I, I got to do one thing at a time because I know if I don't do this, then I haven't laid a foundation from which people can draw from to where they say, okay, we've already covered that. So this, this kind of builds on those kind of things. This is what we're doing, okay? So he says this. He says, the harvest is the end of the age or the end of the world in the King James here. And the reapers are the angels, and therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire. So it shall be in the end of the, what is that term? World? And when you see that and you look at these words, they're simple to use. You can use Bible Hub and just go in there. If you don't have if you don't have a Strong's concordance, you can go in there and you can go to the passage you want to see and you can click Strong's and you can go down there and you can look up what the word is. We have to get out of our heads this idea that there's an there's an end of our uh, of the world coming. Now, look, I'm going to tell you there may be an end of the American world. That, that may be, uh, unless the people of God repent. But we may see that. We've seen the end of various worlds, if you will. We definitely see the end of the Jewish age or their world coming down around their ears. We see that. Okay. But here he points it out. And notice what he says. Um, verse 41. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels. They shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity. And again, he's talking about where he's coming to do this. When is he coming to do this? At the end of the world or the end of the age. And shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. There, then shall the righteous shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of their father who hath ears to hear. Let him hear. And he goes on and he talks about some other things too. But I, I wanted to read to you, and I put this on a Facebook post, uh, in case you're, you're having a little trouble with that, uh, just a couple of things. I just want to read these. And if you have any um, biblical knowledge at all, uh, whether you've been taught the, that all of this stuff is out in the future and stuff, or whether you've been taught this or whether, whatever you've been taught, I want you to just hear these words from two eyewitnesses and two other guys writing later on, third, fourth century. Okay. And as far as I know, none of them are believers. 
they're, they're not believers in the Lord Jesus, but two of them were eyewitnesses to the destruction of Jerusalem. And I just want you to hear what they said, because he's talking about sending his angels, right? And I, and I can go into a whole thing about this, but and we'll, we may do a show just on this, because I got a lot of stuff I put together on this. But this is what Josephus said in the Wars of the Jews. He said, on the 21st day of the month of Artemisius, I don't know what that is, a certain prodigious and incredible phenomenon occurred. I suppose the account of it would, would seem to be a fable were it not related to those that saw it and were not the events that followed it of so considerable a nature as to deserve such signals or before sunsetting, chariots and troops of soldiers in their armor were seen running not across the streets, but among the clouds and surrounding of cities. No, these are not aliens. No, they're not UFOs. These are the angels of God that he said would come and would do all that he was going to do in the destruction of Jerusalem and the preservation of his people. Then we have a first century pagan He's, he's a pagan historius, uh, historian by the name of Tacitus. Now, he's got a book called The Histories, and he also mentions this event. And he writes, quote, In the sky appeared a vision of armies in conflict of glittering armor. Then we've got a guy who comes along a little later, and I'm going to have a tough time pronouncing this guy. I'm just going to say he's pseudo- H-E-G-E-S-I-P-P-U-S. I, -E -P -P <laughs> I, I want to call him hippopotamus, but that's not what it is. It's Hegesippus. Hegesippus. I, I, hopefully that's close enough. Pseudo Hegesippus. Let's see if we can go there. And he describes what he, what he has understood. And remember, he's not far removed, but he's not first century. Okay, And he's not an eyewitness to things. But he sees that mighty angels were there. Quote, a certain figure appeared of tremendous size, which many saw, just as the books of the Jews have disclosed, and before the setting of the sun, there were suddenly seen in the clouds, chariots in the clouds, and armed battle arrays by which the cities of all um, Judea and its territories were invaded. Yeah, that's what he writes. That's a pagan, a, a, a figure of tremendous size. Now, he only lists one that's of tremendous size. He doesn't say that about the angels or these armies that come. Who do you think that is? Yeah. And what do you think? What are you thinking right now? Where is your mind going in Scripture? Because Scripture is going to interpret Scripture, guys. Where does your, I'm not telling you what to think. I'm asking you, where does your mind go when you hear these things? Here's another one. The medieval uh, Jewish historian, Sefer Yosipan, he also writes about this angelic army in the sky of A.D. 66 by saying, quote, Moreover, in those days were seen chariots of fire and horsemen, a great force flying across the sky near to the ground, coming against Jerusalem and all the land of Judea, and all and excuse me, all of them horses of fire and riders of fire. 
And I, I can go on with some other things, but I want you to get the picture of what's going on there, of this little passage here, because if you go to Matthew 24, it's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. He's not talking about two different comings. There is no dual fulfillment stuff. I, I just, I don't see that anywhere in there. And the only way you come up with that is if you have been indoctrinated to look out into the future for it. That's the only way you'll come up with that. Because you don't get it going directly to the scripture. Okay, you just don't get it that way. All right, so here is our next passage we're going to look at. And this is Matthew 24. And again, you know, I, I got emails from people and I got comments saying, well, there's two different things going on, Tim, and he's asking all these, you know, disciples are asking. No, it's all one question. It really is all one thing they're talking about. How do I know that? They Look, they have no idea, though Jesus has told them over and over and over and over again, they have no idea that in just a couple of days he's going to be crucified, he's going to die, and he's going to rise again the third day. They have no idea. They, they hear it, but they don't believe it. They believe he's going to establish his kingdom. I mean, my goodness, the two guys come up and his disciples and they say, when we come into your kingdom, can we sit on your right hand, your left hand? <laughs> Just they don't get it. And we know what that's like, don't we? We know what it is not to understand at times what God has said to us in his word. And this, I'm going to tell you, this end of the world is where a lot of people have not understood. They just haven't understood. So let's go there. Matthew 24. And again, he has just pronounced the woes upon the Pharisees in the temple. Matthew 23. That's what comes before this. And he goes out of the temple and he says, I'm leaving to you your house. He doesn't even call it his father's house. He called it his father's house before. You've... This is supposed to be a house of prayer. My father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer. You made it a den of thieves. When he leaves out of Matthew 23, he says, I'm leaving to you your house desolate. It's kind of like what happens in the Old Testament. When the Spirit of God leaves the temple and it leaves the people, what, what's written over the top of it? Ichabod, the glory has departed. Boy, that could be written on a lot of churches today. So, as he went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show for came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple, and Jesus said unto them, "See ye not all these things? What things, Jesus? Oh, let me let me clarify to disciples. I, I'm I'm not really talking about these things. I'm talking about a future temple and a future things. That's what that's what the people who continually look into the future." That's that's the way they that's the way they look at that. I, I've got the comments to show it. You can read some of them in um, on on Rumble, where people say this stuff. It's like no, he's very clear about what's going on. See you not all these things. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be one, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Okay. And the word world here is just like we read before. Anon. It's ages. Or the end of the age. It's not ages. It's age. The end of the age. Now, they are asking basically one question in three parts. 
They're not asking three questions. They're asking one question in three parts. When are the things going to be? What things? There's not going to be one stone left upon another. What's going to be the sign of your coming? By the way, um, I had this open. I hope this this was open here. Yeah, this is it. Okay, so I don't know if I had two tabs open with Matt. Let me click that and just say, okay, that's a different one. All right, so <clears throat> I just want you to see. This is from Matthew 24, that little passage of uh, verse 3. This is what they're asking about. When they use the word coming, they're using the word parousias. Okay, look at what it means. The present, it means a physical aspect. It is a presence. If you click in and you go to the word here, you will see it. It is a presence, a coming, an arrival, an advent, especially of the second coming of Christ. Now, I got a question for you. If Jesus came the first time to be the suffering servant, and he says, and he responds to them by telling them, that, oh, I jumped away, sorry. If he comes and, he's, and, and they're asking him, what is the sign of thy coming? And he tells them, he tells them in this, in this passage, his parousia, his presence, his appearing, and when is the end of the age or the world? Well, when is that? Well, we're going to scan real quickly because I'm not going to read all of Matthew 24 again. You know the different things that are mentioned there, okay? And there is no break in this. This, this, is, this is what people do in Daniel chapter 9. When they go to Daniel chapter 9, they try to break up the 70 weeks. They try to say, oh, we, we've, the 70th week is out in the future. No, it's not. What was accomplished in the 70th week of Daniel was that the Messiah was cut off in the midst of it. And he was not cut off for himself. He was cut off for his people. And you remember, I took you to the night before his betrayal. And what, it, what, what did we see there? He took the cup, or he took the bread first, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. And the covenant of Daniel 9 has nothing to do with some future Antichrist, has nothing to do with Israel, has nothing to do with any of that stuff. It has to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was in the time frame that were determined upon Daniel's people. Okay? So he does all of this, and he even mentions Daniel, verse 15 of Matthew 24. And he talks about seeing the abomination of desolation. I'm not looking for that in the future. That is a past reality. It is a past fulfillment. Stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them in Judea flee to the mountains. And he tells them, he tells them all of these kinds of things. Woe to you. You know, you, you hope that. And then he says, for then shall be great tribulation. You want to know when the great tribulation was? It was back in the first century. It's not out in our future. And it's for a specific people at a specific time. And he talks all everything that comes before that is just about them. Judea, he's very clear. He doesn't say, hey, if you're in South Carolina, hey, if you're in any other place in the world, he's talking about what's coming on Judea. A great tribulation. Why? Because they murdered the Son of God. And God had had it up to here, and you can't even see me. God had had it up to here with their stuff. His wrath had overflowed against Israel. 
Jerusalem, Judea, because they had killed and stoned the prophets who came before. They wouldn't listen, and now they had killed God's son, the king. They killed him. And what did, I mean, Jesus posed the question to the Pharisees who were listening to his parable about the vineyard. And he says, what do you think the master, the owner of the vineyard is going to do to those wicked servants who did that? And they go, well, he's going to, you know, he's going to kill them. And then the text says they perceived that he spoke of them. Okay. Notice what he says. Talks about the days being shortened in that time. He comes down a little further and he speaks about this. Verse 27, for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, again, the coming, the parousia, so shall the appearance, the presence of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And, and he says this immediately after the tribulation of those days. When is all this happening? It's happening. Well, I'll get to it. He'll answer it. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun, of, sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven. We talked about what that language is and how it was used in the Old Testament and how it should be understood here. And the powers of the heaven shall be shaken and then shall appear. So immediately after the tribulation, which happened in the first century, the world is basically coming apart for the people in the land of Judea. It's just their, their world is, is coming down around their ears. And it's not chicken little going, the sky's falling. It's their world is crashing in on them. And then shall appear. Okay, so after, immediately after the tribulation, these things happen. And then right after this, shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth, or you could understand that as land, what tribes do we think of? The 12 tribes of Israel, they're going to mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Keep that in your mind. Remember, if Christ came at the end of the world, the end of the age, to offer himself a sacrifice, What's happening here? This is at the end of the world, too. It's in the same time frame. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Uh, guys, if you want to pick us up on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, you're on Red State Talk Radio and you want to carry over, go to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live, or BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page there. And uh, Bradley be with you at 3. Lord willing, we'll see you in the morning at 6 to continue all this. All right. Want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And I knew the time was short, but I, I just got into reading this thing. So bear with me. We're, we're going to keep going. You hang on as long as you want. Uh, you can come back later if you've got to go. That's fine. Um, okay, so let's, we're back in Matthew 24. And notice what he says. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels <clears throat> with a great sound of a trumpet. What does that sound like? Some of you people have questions about, quote-unquote, the rapture. What does that sound like to you? Now, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what to think. I'm going to tell you that Scripture interprets Scripture. And we don't get to make up stuff. 
we have to stay in the context and we have to let the scripture interpret the scripture. So he sends his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and shall and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds. Again, what does that sound like to you? If you have any biblical knowledge at all, I don't want to give it away now. I'm going to eventually get into it. But if you have that, where does that lead your mind? From one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise, ye, when ye shall see all these things. Notice he's t who he's talking to. You, you, you. He's not talking to me and you. He's talking to you, the disciples, the ones that asked him the question. When you see all these things, this is not out past their future. Remember, his kingdom is coming and some won't taste death until it's established. Matthew, Matthew 16. We read that at the beginning. Okay? Know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, <clears throat> I mean, grasp this. Oh, but Tim, those things haven't occurred yet. They're, no, they have occurred. And we've got documentation from people like Josephus who was an eyewitness. He wasn't even a believer, but he was an eyewitness. He was a Jewish general captured by the Romans, and he wrote his works largely documenting exactly what Jesus said. And he didn't even, he didn't even realize he's doing it. He doesn't even realize that his history is confirmation of the word of the Lord. So, he goes on and he says this, Truly, or verily, I say unto you, this generation, and it has nothing to do with ethnicity or religious persuasion, it has to do with a generation, the way we understand generation. That's what the word means. Shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. All, all of what things? All of the things that he just told you up until that time. And I believe he doesn't stop because he continues talking about it. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. You remember he said, not one jot or tittle of the law pass away until all is fulfilled. And I ask everybody, has the ceremonial law been done away with? Then if it has, all has been fulfilled. It's pretty simple. If you're not out there and you don't have a temple sitting in Israel the way God set it up, and you don't have a priest system setting it up and doing all that and all of these things, and you don't think that that's valid, which I don't, I think it is. A, I, I think even these guys over in Israel who think they're going to establish this stuff, in my mind, either God's going to keep them from doing it or they're going to do it and he's just going to destroy it. Why? Because it is an affront to him. His son came and gave his life. He is the one and only sacrifice for sin. But Jesus said the destruction of the temple would happen in the first century in that generation. All of those things that he had are there. You said, but I'm still seeing you know, false Christ. And yeah, you can draw all kinds of application, but the interpretation is that this is coming in the first century. This is coming in the first century. Okay? So he says that, and he says his words won't pass away. And again, he goes down and he talks about the days of Noah, and he's very specific about what the days of Noah are like, and that's in verses 38 through 39. That's what he wants you to get, is that 
all the other people are going to be clueless that judgment's about to come to their front door until it happens. That's what he's talking about. And he lays out these things and he tells them, watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. He says you can see the signs of it building up, but you don't know the exact day. And all what he tells them is <clears throat> when you... When you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem, this comes from Luke 21, which is the parallel passage to Matthew 24. He says, when you see these armies around Jerusalem, you know its desolation is near. Get out of the city. Don't grab anything. Don't pack a bag. Get off the housetop. Get out of the workplace. Get out of your house and get out of the city and flee to the mountains. And the people who did that were spared and the people who didn't were in the siege starving to death, eating their children, eating other people's children. They had become a wicked, wicked bunch. And the false prophets were there telling them, just wait on the Messiah. He's coming. Well, a Savior is coming. Isn't that the same message we're hearing now? Listen, the Savior has come. The King has come. He is here. He does have a kingdom. He does have people in his kingdom. He does have laws. They're there. Notice this one also, the Great Commission. And I like to read the Great Commission out of Matthew 28 rather than Mark, even though I know it's the word of the Lord. But I like it here because it's more thorough. Look at what it says. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore... And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you. Notice, notice what he's saying here. I am with you. Who? The disciples. That's who he's talking to. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. What's the word world there? Is that the end of time? Nope, that's the end of the age. Same age he's been talking about, the whole Gospels. Same one. And what are they to do? Teach all the nations. That's number one. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy, Holy Ghost. That's number two. Three, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. What is that? That's number three. What is that? What's well, the same thing it's always been? It's the law and the prophets. If they don't speak according to them, if they don't speak according to them, there is no light in them. If you've got a preacher who just wants to stay in the New Testament and he never talks about what came before, he doesn't talk about the law of God, he doesn't bring that to bear because the law of God was given by Jesus the Christ who is referenced in John chapter 1 as the Word and as God. Jesus did not do away with his words there. The law, the moral law, not the ceremonial stuff, the moral law of God remains in effect. And if you don't believe me, you go and look in the New Testament where it's reiterated over. Paul says, are we doing away with it? No, we're exalting the law. The law is a schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. It teaches us our need of Him.
So he tells them, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. I'm going to be with you. Now, does that mean he's not going to be with them after? Does it mean that he, in the application, is obviously first? Does that mean that, that he's not going to be with us? No. No, he's very present with us. He is our king if we're in him. Here's another, here's another place where the term world is used, just to give you a flavor of how world is used in other places. This comes from 1 John chapter 4. What is the name? Yahweh. That's the name of the true and living God, the I am that I am, the great I am, the self-existing one. Hereby... Know ye the Spirit of God, this is 1 John chapter 4, beginning verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world world okay this is not the term world for anon this is the the cosmon or the cosmos they are of the world therefore speak they of the world and the world heareth them so you get that kind of fleshly aspect of world this is not using the term in the sense of age like as in the end of the world in fact let me just show you this is first john uh, chapter 4, verse 5, and as you can see, and then I didn't bring it over here, <clears throat> but you'll see. This is the word that he, that he constantly uses here. It's the same one, but it's not the one for age. It's not anon. Okay? It's cosmos or cosma. Okay? Just so you guys understand. And then if you go to John chapter 3, oh, let's take the, you know, probably the most famous if anybody knows any, any verse, they know this. They just don't know the context half the time. So they just proclaim it as just, you know, God has peanut butter love that he just kind of throws out and schmoozes over everybody. And that's not what he does. But notice what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, he's obviously not talking about an age, right? And then he says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Okay, so what, what is the word that he's using? Well, it's the same thing. John does this quite a bit. He's using this word, cosmon. Okay, so there is, <clears throat> there is a distinction between how those words are used. Okay, um, <clears throat> and I had this pulled up and... Didn't catch exactly where I was going. With. Okay, so this is what I want to do. <clears throat> this is Colossians, and he uses the term here as well. And let me see where I'm wanting to go here. Okay, let's just start. We're going to pick it up at verse 4. Ah! What just happened? I just clicked off the thing. I'm sorry. Okay, so we're going to begin at verse 4. Is that where I was? Yeah, that's uh, that's where I was. Okay, verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, 
joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. And ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as ye have been taught and abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit and the tradition of men under the rudiments of the world and not of Christ. And what's he using here? Same word, Cosmo. When I say the same word, there are, there are different variations, kind of like what we say when we say live, living, lived. It's, it, the root word is there. That's what he's using. Okay. Now, I made mention of what happens at the end of the world. What happened at the end of the age? What did Jesus say would happen at the end of the age? Yeah, he said that the angels were going to come. They were going to gather his elect. They were going to, he was going to, the, 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 the vineyard owner in the parable was going to come and, um, hang on, I got to look up one thing because I, I didn't get it before. I apologize for that. But he, he's telling them what they're going to do, right? He says that they're going to, they're going to see him. They're going to see the sign of the coming of man. What's the sign? The coming of man. That's how... That's how quick it happens. He says, as the lightning goes from the east to the west, so it is. You're going to see the sign of the coming of man. What is the sign, Lord? It's the coming of man. You're going to see it. It's, not, it's going to be unmistakable. right? So he says, um, I'm, I'm wanting to bring this, this passage up because I found some interesting stuff. And uh, like I said, I'm probably going to go a little further with uh, some of the other um, in, in a future deal. But I want you to get this because I found this absolutely fascinating. Okay. This is, comes from Mark chapter 14. They couldn't get the witnesses to agree. They, they sought false witnesses. They wanted Jesus out of the way. And Caiaphas, this guy, this wicked high priest, he... Uh, he even prophesied. The Bible says he prophesied. He says, better for one man to die than the whole nation die, right? And he was speaking about Christ. And the high priest, this is Caiaphas, stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses are these witness against thee? Well, they, it just said they couldn't get them to agree. <laughs> but he held his peace and answered nothing. Jesus didn't say anything to him. And again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. I am. If you're not familiar with the I am passages in the book of John, you should really become familiar with those. Jesus is saying, I am the I am of the Old Testament, the one who brought the people out of Egypt. I, I am the I am. I'm the self-existing one. I'm the judge. I'm the creator. I'm all of these things. He said, I am, and ye, you, Caiaphas, you people sitting around, you're going to see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Now, how did Caiaphas react to that? Verse 63, the high priest rent his clothes and saith, what need we have any further witnesses? Ye have heard the blasphemy. 
Well, how is he blaspheming? Jesus is claiming to be the great I am, the great judge, the great God, the one who has established his law. These guys want a law unto themselves. That's what they want to do. Jesus is like, nope, that's me. Ye have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. I mean, that's a pretty serious deal. And some began to spit on him, cover his face, and to buffet him, to say to him, prophesy. And the, He's been prophesying to him all along. He's been telling them what's coming. And now he tells Caiaphas, he says, you're going to see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming to the clouds. And when's that going to happen? Same time frame, the end of the world. Now, I ran across this, and I, I told you this is kind of, uh, it's kind of interesting. Did Caiaphas Kai, see Jesus coming in the clouds? According to several people, he did. Caiaphas died in 66 AD on the island of Crete of old age <laughs> and sorrow for betraying the Son of God. This is what they said. Because he realized, like Nicodemus, but later, that Jesus was the Messiah, and before Caiaphas died, he came to repent and ask for forgiveness for his sins on the Isle of Crete, where he retired until the end of his days. This is the same Caiaphas that Jesus spoke to. I mean, he's the one who's pushing for the death of Christ. And Jesus said, you're going to see me coming in the clouds with power and great glory. You're going to see me at the right hand of power. You're going to see it. And when does it happen? At the end of the age. Matthew 24, that is the very answer that he's giving to the disciples. At the end of the age, at the culmination of that end of the old covenant world, Jesus not only gave himself as a sacrifice for sinners, but he also came and punished those wicked men who put him to death. And the people saw it. They saw it. Now I have to ask you a question. When somebody asks you, when is the end of the world? And you claim to be a Christian who says the Bible's authoritative, what is your answer? If you say somewhere out in the future, there's a problem. There's a real problem with that. Well, Tim, there's other passages that talk about, you know, elements. Peter talks about the elements. Listen, where did they get, where would they get that to talk about somewhere off in our future? Where would they get that? Because that's not what the Lord taught them. That's not what he taught them. And they're only teaching the words of Christ by the Spirit of God. Why? Because Jesus said when the Spirit comes, he will bear witness of who? Jesus. Spirit doesn't bear witness of himself. You don't just get to go off and say, well, I was in the Spirit and I saw all these things happening, this, that, and the other. You don't just get to do that. The Spirit bears witness of Christ and of his words. And so I'm, I'm telling you, when you read things that you think is somewhere out there in the future, you might want to stop and compare Scripture with Scripture to what the words of the Lord are 
and see the consistency. Oh, if you haven't seen it, the only way I know how to express it is it's glorious. It's freeing. It's, I, I don't even know how to explain it. It starts to answer the questions that you have about how things fit together and why we are here and what we are doing. Because some people, if, if it's not, well, Jesus coming, coming soon. If it's not that for them, they go, well, then what are we doing here? Let me tell you what we're doing here. We are establishing and we're pushing the crown rights of King Jesus upon the nations. That they are to submit and bow to him and no other king. I have told you, any king, any president, any prime minister, any represent, any of these people who claim to have authority, if they do not hold to the law of God in its implementation, they are imposters. They are traitors against the king. Boy, that's pretty strong. Well, listen to what the disciples, listen to what Jesus, well, Jesus says he's a king. And anybody that's going to you know, be messing around here, Pilate, with a guy who claims he's king, he's not the friend of Caesar. What were the disciples accused of? Well, they say there's another king other than Caesar. And some people say it's a false witness. No, it isn't. They were, that's exactly what they were proclaiming. Jesus as king of the nations, not just Israel, but of the nations. And this is why all men everywhere are commanded to repent and bow before this king. So, concluding, when you hear, all oh, the end of the world's coming, what should you be comforted with? Because this is comforting too. The end of the world's already come. It's already come. And we're in a kingdom. Oh, we're not in the kingdom. Look at all these wicked people. Then what, what are you doing to advance the crown rights of King Jesus? Don't sit here like the ten uh, spies in the Old Testament say, there's nothing we can do. It's just going to have to happen. That is unbelief. That is not belief. Oh, my friends, did Jesus say the gates of hell would prevail against the church or did he not? Which, what did he say? He said they won't prevail against the church. Or as I'm coming to understand, I want to change that every time now to the ecclesia so that we get it. I want to say the assembly. That's what I want to say. That's the more proper understanding of what it is. Ecclesia is just the Greek word, but the assembly is what it is. And if you didn't get that, when we had Brent Winters on, and he talked about the assembly, it clicked in my mind so fast. I mean, I already knew certain things, but there was something there. The assembly. Do you know, some of you are in states where you have an assembly. You don't have a, it's not necessarily called you know, your, what do we, I don't know, legislature. It's not necessarily, it's called an assembly. And the, the representatives are called assemblymen. Let me tell you something. That's what the church is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a social club. It's supposed to be the assembly. It is supposed to be the one 
that is showing people what is right and what is wrong according to the law of God. And it is to be the one that is to be handling the implementation of those things. If you want to see what that's like, go back to the Mayfire Compact. Go back to that uh, when we had uh, Charlie Stewart on. Go back to that 1639 Connecticut um, Constitution. You want to see what real, what the real kingdom of God looks like practically? Go back and read those things. Their governance, their governance. That if you, in fact, every time you hear the term church, think that way. Ecclesia. That's the Greek word. Okay, it's not doesn't mean church, but think that way. The government of God. Now, once you think that way, because that's what it is, the assembly. Once you think that way, remember that little verse that comes out of Isaiah that people like to say around the time when they celebrate the birth of Christ? And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Oh, that's in future, Tim. Nope, it ain't. It ain't. If you're a believer, you have confessed Jesus as Lord. That means as master, as king. The one who tells you right and wrong. It's interesting. My, my son-in-law, we were talking about it before, and I, I've, made, I've made mention, but I think he, his, the light bulbs came on in his eyes when he was referencing Adam and Eve. And I'm going to end with one passage of Scripture here, but when he was referencing Adam and Eve, God had a law in the garden. What was that law? Don't eat of this tree here, the knowledge of good and evil. You can have everything else, all the bushes, all the trees. You, you can eat of all that stuff. Just don't eat of this tree. That was the law. What did man do? Well, it looked like it's good for food and can make one wise. And they questioned God about what he said. And so they ate of it. They broke his law. They decided they knew better that their law was better than God's law. And men have been doing it since Adam and Eve. We write laws. Oh, well, we got to do this because you know, we got to stop whatever we're going to do. So we got to write another law. And we got to write another law. And pretty soon, what they start doing is they start making things illegal that God says are lawful. And they start making things that God says that are lawful, unlawful. That's where man will take you with his laws. And this is why any government, I don't care where it is, I don't care if it's local, if it's in the state, or if it's a federal government, or if it's in any other part of the world, it needs to come down, and we need to resurrect or raise up the standard that God has given us in His Word. If you actually believe Jesus is King. If you don't, then continue on in whatever you're doing if you think that's going to change anything, and it's not. You need to repent and understand the King has come. And he came at the end of the world to establish his own kingdom. I want to end with this. This comes from Isaiah chapter 62. 
And he says this, Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world. Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thou, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and they shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. Friend, do you hear the message here? There is a king to live for. He has a law. He has a kingdom. He has blessings in that kingdom. Have you entered into his kingdom? Have you bowed the knee to King Jesus? Or are you still kind of doing your own thing? Oh, you took Jesus on maybe as a, I don't know, little badge to wear. But he never took out a heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh. He never changed you. You were never born again. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Submit to the king. Give yourself to the king and to the kingdom. Bradley, be with you at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then, Lord willing, we'll be back with you in the morning. We're going to pick it up. Uh, last day stuff, we're, we're still going to go through some of those things, some of those phrases. And I hope that it's helpful. I really do. I got to tell you, it's been, it's been tremendously helpful in our family here of recent uh, and discussions we've had. And it's been an exciting time. And uh, I think the Lord's opening our eyes to a lot of different things, not just this, but other passages of Scripture come alive that even some of us have questions about. So join us for that uh, in the morning. Lord willing, we'll, we'll be doing that. And then, uh, yep, that's it. And I'll see you then.